For those of you who are new here, and if you are new here, if you're visiting our church, you are so welcome. I really trust that you experience God's goodness, that you get to meet a bunch of cool people, um, but that really you, uh, there's a hunger in your heart that will take you into the week and say, what can I do to make Jesus more famous in my city? What can I do to make him more known in my family and where I work, wherever I go? See, so if that's you, if you're visiting, you're so welcome. Um, Come say hello afterwards to some of the leaders and the staff that are here in front as well. Um, so I've been preaching in quite a while, so I might be a bit unfit. Preaching a fitness sometimes dwells a bit. Um, it's been a good holiday, but it's also just been a tough season in our lives that we feel like we're still navigating exactly what is right, left, up and down. But we, we're doing well, so thank you for everyone's prayers. Um, but getting into a series on miracles... We're starting the year with a series on miracles. I was just sharing this this afternoon with someone. I said, this is a bit tough, right? Because somewhere, now whether you want to admit to it or not, but there's some of you, okay, we're talking about miracles, come, but now it's time to see them. Come, dance, monkey, dance. Come, show us some. Because sometimes we have this expectation, all right, we see miracles, do we believe in miracles? Are miracles will? We've got all these things. And I realized preaching on miracles and demonstrating what the Word of God says Jesus accomplished and what He said you and I can accomplish that goes against the logic of our small brains is not a safe thing to do. Because, unfortunately, there is this movement around the world where it's all about lights, camera, action, and strange things and miracles. So this isn't a safe thing that you're doing and that we are doing as a church by reading and seeing exactly what Jesus did so that we can know who he was. It's not the most popular thing to do. Why? Because it's easy to stay in the little bubble of Christianity that's safe, that makes sense to us. Right? It's just me. It's easy to read and to believe the scriptures that I can logically say, yeah, that's good. I like that. I'm going to print that. But a person being raised from the dead, 5,000 people being fed from just a little bunch of crackers and two, two fish, blind people seeing, lame people walking, people, men walking on water, turning water into wine, these things are, okay, hold on now. Don't you bring this weird stuff to me now. Now that's truth and that's scripture. And it should challenge us, friends, because it does go beyond the logic of how we think. But we can't say it's not biblical. Because if you had to take away the miracles that not only Jesus did, but what happened after him, we're going to have a very thin Bible. In fact, the book of John that we're busy reading ends and says, I could not record all the miracles that happened because there is not enough paper. He says that. Go read the end of the letter. He says, everything that happened, I can't tell you about. I kind of highlighted, in my opinion, the most important ones for you to know, but trust me, there's more. So this isn't necessarily a safe topic. 
especially in the world we live today, where if you don't prove it to me right now, I don't believe it. Where we are programmed to question everything. Where we don't believe in experts anymore. Because we've all got Google in our pockets. Come on, who's been to the doctor recently and they told you something and you immediately went home and checked it on Google to see if they're telling the truth? <laughs> Medical students, how long do you study again? Seven years! Six years, seven years with an extra year. But you should have just thought of Google. Sorry, my friend. Do we still believe in miracles? Do you still believe in miracles for yourself? Because it's one thing now, I believe in miracles, I believe God can do great things, but just not in my life. Now, as a collective, we believe in miracles because every now and then we hear something that can't be explained in the natural. But me? No. What's so special about me? That's a good question you should ask tonight. Do you still believe a miracle can happen in your life? So let's pray together, and then we're going to get started. Lord, I thank you for our time. I thank you that we can be here this evening, that we can open your word, and I really pray, may your word speak into our souls tonight. We're not just here to know more about you, Jesus. We want to experience you. We want to thirst for you. We want to hunger for you. And we do this because you are worthy of all of our lives, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I've had the privilege of traveling a lot in my life before, and interesting when you travel in different continents or regions, there's certain things that kind of catch you off guard and certain things that kind of excite you. So, for example, traveling in Asia, um, the flavors, the colors, the culture, it's so exciting, and it's, so, it's just so rich and beautiful, and the expressions that, the, that, that a lot of those cultures have is just really great to see. Um, traveling in Europe is beautiful. I mean, I've never been in a place where the actual image in front of me is better than the HD photo on my phone. Like, Europe is beautiful. But some of these places also still have their downsides. Asia, as beautiful as the continent is, um, let me just say my African stomach and taste buds haven't quite adjusted to a lot of the Asian cuisine. All right? When you're traveling in Europe, it's great. But come day 15, you're on water because it's expensive. Ran to Europe is uh, it's getting a big jump right now. So while you travel in, in these two continents specifically, there's something. There's something that happens that kind of just installs hope in your heart again. There's something you see. There's a sign that as you're walking around, when you see it, there's just this excitement that builds in your soul. Now, if you're traveling in Asia, and man, you've experimented, you've tasted different tastes. And you see the sign. And you feel like eventually I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat something that I know. I'm going to eat something that's familiar to me. And it's just this, because the sign gives you hope. Now, if you're traveling in Europe, the same thing happens. It's like, I need something that I can afford for a change. I need something that's not going to cost me 300 rand. And you see, it, it's the same sign. The same sign that while you're looking for something that brings you a bit of comfort in the continent of Asia. It's the same sign that when you're traveling in Europe, you say, man, I can afford this meal. When you see the sign, there's just excitement that builds into, in your soul. And that sign, my friends, is this one. Yeah. 
when you, when you are in China and you see this sign, there's just relief in your heart. When you're in Switzerland and you see this sign, there's relief in your wallet. Now, every time I saw the sign, now, I'm not a big McAdee's fan. In fact, I never eat it in South Africa. That's the irony, actually, to this whole story. But anyway, I don't. I don't. Don't do it. Anyway, I've never, in those, on one of those trips, stopped at the sign and then be for, been fulfilled. Right? I have never got to that point and say, I'm at McDonald's. Because that doesn't make sense. Because the sign is supposed to just point me somewhere, right? So I see the sign, I follow the sign, I get to the sign, and what happens? Food. Yummy. A lot of times with miracles and signs, we kind of sometimes get stuck at them. Even sometimes this service can be a sign for you. You come to the service and it's great. People are friendly, generally. People smell well. People look good. Our band is mature enough that when they make a mistake, they say, sorry, can we try again? <laughs> but even sometimes the service can just be a sign that you stop at and say, okay, this is great. But the substance doesn't lie at the sign. The substance lies in what it is pointing to, in what it represents. So even the signs and the miracles that you and I get to experience or see or hear of or whatever, if we do not say, where is the substance, where is the person behind the signs, we will miss it. If something in your life has happened, and I've seen this, I remember I was at Varsity and there was a, a guy who was with us in Rez and he was in a horrible car accident, like horrible, and God did supernaturally save his life. And I thought... This person, I mean, how can they not, after something like that, dedicate their lives completely to Christ? But he didn't. His life looked exactly the same before the accident and after the accident. Because you and I have to say, who's on the other side of this? When you and I follow the sign, when you and I see, come to this, you meet someone, you've heard something, you heard this testimony, you experience the service, you and I have to say, where is Jesus that I can find him and follow him that he can sustain me? That I can dedicate myself to him and not just stop at the signs. I think why miracles are sometimes a thing that we struggle with is not necessarily out of a belief perspective or a theological perspective. It's a control perspective. We don't want miracles because we can't control it. Right? We like to control our lives. Therefore, anything that puts me out of control, that's wrong. And I believe John 6, we're going to jump into Scripture tonight, and we're going to read John 6. And what's so beautiful and unique about this miracle that takes place is that all four, the gospel writers. Now, what's the gospel? What are the gospel writers? So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They each write a letter that kind of gives their perspective on who Jesus was and what he did. That would be like, where's Emil? Emil, where are you? Right, there's Emil. Everyone just quickly give Emil a wave. Hey, Emil. Okay, Emil was at Imagine Dragons last night. Okay, 
All right. Okay. I was at Imagine Dragons last night. Okay. We will be telling different stories about the same event. Right? I sat in the nosebleed section right on top. And he maybe was a bit closer. So he would say, hey, did you see this? No, I didn't. You can't see that from row number 177. So this is what the Gospels are. It's different people writing different, but still telling truths about who Jesus was. And, and John is the one we're following now, but every one of these people wrote this exact same miracle. The only one that was repeated by all four. So this says, this was significant. And we have to lean in and pay attention what this means. So you know how it works. Everything in bold, you read with me. Let's do this together. All right, John 6, verse 5 to 14. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother said to him, There is a boy here who have five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves. Jesus took the loaves. I'm watching you. And we had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign they had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Brilliant piece of scripture. I, I want to encourage you that you're actually going to read the whole chapter tonight. Because this is the first miracle in chapter 6. Last week, Philip actually pre preached on the second miracle. But you can go read this whole chapter because it kind of builds up to this conclusion. Jesus like gives the meaning to everything he's doing at the end of this chapter. So what's happening, Jesus, is, his ministry is growing, he's, he's doing miracles, he's turned water into wine, who likes that? Yes? Not? Okay, quiet church tonight. He's healed people, lame people have started to walk, like he's, his fame is growing and people are interested, people are curious, they want to see this miracle man, this guy who does things that no one else does. So they start pursuing Jesus, this crowd, and Jesus is actually with his disciples trying to get away the whole time because he knows these people just want me for something. They don't really want me. They want me to do stuff for them. See, like, he kind of escapes the whole time, but here he finds himself escaping again, but seeing here comes this crowd. And with a crowd of people, normally there's problems. See, Jesus lifts up his eyes, and he saw that this crowd was coming, and he asked, where are we going to buy bread? How are we going to feed these people? Philip says, well, no, denarii, what does that mean in today's wage? So he's pretty much saying, we're going to need two-thirds of a year's wages, and that's not even going to be enough. So he's already saying, the budget is tight. 
You're not going to be able to do this. It's amazing to me that even though Jesus knew that the, this crowd that was following, not everyone had the purest intention. What he does, he lifted up his eyes and he saw. He saw them. Aren't you to hear that tonight? That Jesus sees you. Jesus sees us. One of my favorite things in the Avatar movies is when they say to each other, I see you. It's just so beautiful. I just love that expression. It's almost like, I acknowledge you. I see you. But what's fascinating about this is that even before the need arose, Jesus saw them. Before there was actually a problem. Like, do you realize no one said, hey, Jesus, are you going to give me a burger tonight? No one asked for it. So this, he anticipated a need that was coming when he saw them. That reveals to me something about Jesus that is so unique. That he sees you and he sees your needs before you even know they exist. Now, if we believe this, would we have the same level of stress and anxiety currently that we face today? If you really believe that Jesus sees you and he recognizes you, that the trials, whatever you're facing, is there before you even know it exists, how would that change the way we live? Before the need arises, Jesus already knows about it. But he's got this problem. Big crowd of people, at least 5,000 men, so you can estimate there's about 20 to 25,000 people coming. And it's late at night, people have traveled far, people are going to be hungry. So he turns to his disciples. By the way, disclaimer, I'm glad I wasn't that disciple that had to answer this question. But I'm glad I wasn't Philip, because like, he was probably just minding his own business, looking at this crowd. Hey, do you know what the disciples were actually doing? We find this in Matthew. Remember, Matthew's the other guy who writes about the same story. He says that they actually told Jesus, Jesus, it's late. Send them home that we can go get food. <laughs> do you see the vision Jesus has for the problem that's in your life is different than the people that have the same vision for the same problem? How you see things is different the way Jesus views it. Jesus says, here's a problem coming. We're going to have to feed 25,000 people. The disciples see a problem coming, they say, how are we going to get rid of them? <laughs> Isn't that us? How many times have you prayed away a problem in your life? That will take it away. Disciples who said, Lord, send them away, we're tired. Man, we've had a long day, we want to go eat. No, I can, that's me. I've, a lot of times after a long day of ministry, I've said, no, 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 no another one. I want to go, I'm hungry. But yet Jesus differentiates himself already from mere people. Jesus is showing you that the love and care that he has is so unique and so profound. See, Philip quickly did a calculation. Quickly counted. Okay, no, 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 no. Yo, guys, we're not going to do this. Do you know that we can sometimes calculate ourselves out of a miracle? You can quickly... Quickly, with, out of your own strength and your own logic, quickly, I want to say dismiss something miraculous God once wants to do. See, Philip quickly took out his Excel spreadsheet, quickly worked out how many people, times how many, times how many. Ooh, goodness, we're not going to get there. Now, this is not a bash to anyone who's an Excel person. God bless Excel people. My wife is fantastic with that. She teaches me like shortcuts that I never knew existed. 
But we can sometimes outcalculate ourselves in our relationship with Jesus because it doesn't make sense to us or because we expect things that we can control or we can understand. And it's funny how all of a sudden money becomes this problem. It's like, let's, here's a problem. Let's either get rid of it or let's throw money at it. Now, Jesus, we don't have money, you know, like. And again, I see that in me. There's a problem in my life now. Money must solve it. Friends, yeah, Jesus is trying to say that money can't and won't fix things always. That money is not your savior. Money is not the only way for you to get out of problems. You see, the problem is we become so dependent on finances that it's actually your, what you have or don't have that dictates your obedience and your actions. That dictates your faith. Now we don't have money, I can't go and study. Well, don't you believe in, don't you, aren't you a daughter of the king who owns everything that says through me nothing is impossible? They were faced with the same problem, the disciples. Big crowd. I don't know, but guys, I've been in crowds. Hungry people are mean. Right? <laughs> Hungry people get mean. So I think the disciples are a bit afraid as well. It's like, they're not, what are they going to eat? Faced with the same problem. The disciples said, let's get rid of it. Well, let's throw money at it. Jesus says, no, 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 we're going to feed them. We're going to feed them. See, because Jesus says that behind your problem, I have a purpose. Now, I'm not saying that every problem in your life is either created or put in place by God. I'm not saying that. But behind the problem that you face or is coming or will face, there is purpose behind it, friends. Normally, that purpose is so that you and I can know God, can know Jesus, can see how he reveals himself in a way that wouldn't have happened if the problem wasn't there. You and I can look at the scripture today and say, Jesus is the provider because there were 25,000 hungry people. Do you get that? See, Jesus, in, in the scripture we see, he says this to test them. Why do we get tested? Who likes tests? Any students in the house? Who can't wait for exam season? Even you, like a good. God allows the test to occur, not because he wants us to fail, but because he wants us to give us opportunities to grow in our faith. I'm going to say that again. We face tests, and God gives us tests, not because he wants us to fail so that he can, ha, 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 got you. He doesn't do that. He does it because he wants you to grow. He wants me to grow. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become more mature and more Christ-like. That's why you and I will face things in our lives. You might be praying away the, this, the very thing that God intends in your life so that you can look more like him. This is why God does this. He's allowing this test for the disciples to face it. He's allowing it. What I, what I find mind-boggling, and first I thought, oh, these disciples, they probably weren't very bright people, because surely by this time, I mean, they'd seen the water turn to wine. They saw a sick person being healed. They've seen miracles already. They've heard what Jesus is saying, but still, he's like, no, Jesus, we don't have money. I'm thinking, but then I realized, whoa, 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 that sounds exactly like me. I become so forgetful to what Jesus has already done in my life that when something doesn't happen right now, I want to abandon ship. Isn't that us? Who's got short-term memory loss? 
on the goodness and the grace of God. I was like thinking, but you guys just saw some, some you just guys just saw a healing. Some of you, something happened in your life last year that you either trusted for or prayed for, you've already forgotten about it, and you've already allowed your soul to start grumbling towards God because He's not performing like you want Him to do it. See, even in our relationship with God, we've stepped into the consumerism trap where if Jesus doesn't perform like I want Him to perform, He doesn't exist. Or we, you know, come on, Jesus, keep up. Keep, you must keep keeping me happy. Like everything else. Like there must be miracles quicker than what the iPhone upgrade happens. And I'm like thinking, Lord, let's not get stuck. Like even in our relationship with God, do you, do you remember what he did? Do you remember when you prayed for rain and it rained? Do you remember when you trusted God for breakthrough in your family and it happened? Do you remember that you were trusting Jesus for a godly spouse and now that you're married, you're moaning about them? Do you realize that the job that you're in right now, you prayed and fasted for it last year? Yeah, but ways. These people aren't nice. Well, people aren't nice in general, unfortunately. That's why we are placed there to make a difference, to carry the vision of Jesus Christ to be his ambassador and see the gospel filter through every circle of this country. That's why we're there. See, these disciples were also just following the signs. They got to the sign, and they wanted the substance by the sign, but it didn't happen. Just like that, we as a church can follow the signs and the good things, the answered prayers, the nice services, the good discipleship moments. But if we don't go deeper and say, Jesus, I want this sign to lead me into a greater knowledge and a greater experience with you, then that will not count for anything. I've oftentimes wondered, Lord, if you heal this person, everyone will believe. I've oftentimes said, Lord, if you do this, man, University of Pretoria is going to explode of Jesus followers. And the answer is no. It won't. Because we get sign hangry. Jesus, just do another thing for me. Signs in our lives are there to point to him so that we can receive from him. To the person searching God tonight, I want you to know that he sees you. He's always seen you. And he's already acting behind the scenes. If you're trying to figure out this whole Christian thing, I want to tell you now that there's a God that exists that sees you already. To the Christian sitting in the room, I want to say to you, can you and I adopt the vision of Jesus when problems come our way? That we don't run to our bank balances or our credit cards to outproblem ourselves, but to stand up and rely. You know, maybe sometimes it's good to find you in a place where money can't bail you out. Maybe it's time we break down that idol in society. the Christian sitting here tonight. May we see things different. May you see some things different. What problem currently are you facing? And what perspective do you have? Do you want to get rid of it? Do you want to bribe your way out of it? Say, Jesus, I need with you.
See, that was the test that Philip had the opportunity to pass or fail. I don't blame him. I would have failed it 400 times as well. I still do. Say, Philip, do you trust me? Do you believe that I am who I say I am? So verse 8, it goes further. Now we get another disciple named Andrew. Everyone say Andrew. So Andrew sees what's happening and he's saying, my buddy Philip, he's backpedaling. <laughs> Things aren't going well. So, he, so I think he kind of jumps in and he says, Jesus, I found this boy and he has food. Heavy excited about this find <laughs> until he realizes that all that this little boy has is five barley loaves and two pieces of fish. Now to tell you what's a barley loaf, that's very important. There's a reason why that's written there, okay? So barley loaf, you know when you get that variety crackers, you know, like those, you know, like those lacquer brookies that you put on the cheese and the jam and the, if you're not there yet, you will one day, I don't know, somewhere you turn 25, you're like, I like cheese and I like little pieces of bread and jam. I don't know what happens. And balsamic vinegar, where does that happen? I mean, and then you turn 31 and it's like, where are the olives? I can't find the olives on my plate. I'm like, Anyway, so you know that box of cookies, right? You know the one that no one ever eats, that dry one that tastes like cardboard. Okay, that's barley. So barley was the worst. It was like the chacha bread. It wasn't sourdough or ciabatta with lacquer piece of cheese and parmesan. I'm getting off topic now, but it was... This undesirable bread. So Andrew, heavy excited. Jesus, I found someone. He's got food. And then he looked into the lunchbox and it's like, oh goodness. At least thought there's like half a sheep in here, but it's not. It's barley and sardines. How quickly we dismiss things that seem insignificant and unresirable in our lives. How quickly do we come up with excuses in being able to step out and do things for God? See what Andrew does, he's kind of excusing himself, saying, no, Jesus, well, look, I tried. This is what I got, and I'm pretty much sucks. How quickly we say, no, not me. You know, if I had enough money, then I would have given a lot. Well, you know, if, if I had the gift of evangelism, man, you, you should see me. I'd lead everyone to Jesus. Or if I had time, you know, if I just had time, man, I'd be available to, to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. So it's kind of this excuse mentality that unfortunately is growing and growing into the 21st century. We're excusing ourselves out of acts of God. We're excusing ourselves out of obedience. I don't know if it's because somewhere we think we've stepped over the line and we've become these professional Christians. We've become these people that know it all. Now, because I know, I don't have to do. Or maybe you're scared. If I just had faith, if I just had fear. Oh, no, not fear. You don't have fear. If I just had faith, if I just had courage. Man, you, you, you yes, I may sin. That's exactly what Andrew's doing. He's kind of excusing himself out of this awkward situation that Jesus and Philip is having because he doesn't want to have the red face that Philip has. Friends, if you have barley, can you give God barley? 
If you have two sardines, can you give those sardines? If you have three fish fingers, can you give those three fish fingers? If you have seven hours, can you give those seven hours? If you have 20 hours, can you give? If you have a little bit of faith, can you give that faith? You see, it was a little boy and a little bit of food, and something amazing happened. See, God takes little things and turns them into great things. David was a little man against a big giant, and the little man won. What's your excuse? Now, this is me not saying you can only give or do things that are within your means for Christ. No, because Jesus says, well, if you really want to follow me and become my disciple, you have to lose your life and die and pick up your cross and follow me. So he expects our whole life. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your treasures. I'm talking about who you are, your gifts. I'm talking about there's a reason you are who you are. The problem is we've also started to think, oh, that guy gave a tuna. Hmm. My sardine's not looking good against that tuna, so let me go and find a tuna, and then I'll do that. See, we become these, com- com- we compete against everyone. Now, that person ties 5,000 rand. I'm not going to be able to five. so you give me six years, I'll be back. If you've got 50 rand, you do that with the 50 rand. If you've got one gift, you use that gift. This thing where I must be because you are, because when you are there, you when we're in the spiritual family, because we're trusting to see Jesus made known in Chuanet. That's why you're here, I hope. Because there's something bigger out there for you and I to give our lives to. But Jesus, I'm just an engineer. Man, you take your engineering and you engineer it for Jesus. (laughs) Sorry, I was never very good with that kind of stuff. It's never the right time. Right time is now. Some of you are saying, no, when I'm finished being a student, when I get married... Then I'm going to follow Jesus. No, you don't. If you get married with that mindset, you'll probably lead your spouse away anyway. What you have, you can't say, Jesus, I know it's just five barley loaves, it's five little crackers that no one loves, that not even four teaspoons of jam can save. But that's what I have right now. Some of you are in school. Do you know what amazing opportunity you have to play in your high school with who you are and what you have? But if you're going to run after everything the world tells you to run after, you will not have time for Jesus and you will not see the impact happen. You probably don't have to do nine sports. So I'm very, I've got like this dad joke that I've got. I'm very tempted to use it, but I don't think I'm going to. So, Okay, I'm going to quickly tell it. So, There's this farmer. Who spe- uh, there's a preacher who speaks to a farmer. And he speaks to this farmer and he says, man, if you had two farms, wouldn't you give away a farm for for the Lord? And he says, I would gladly do it. If only I had two farms. The preacher says to the farmer, man, if you had 20,000 US dollars, would you give away $10,000 for Jesus? He says, man, at the moment I do get that, I'm going to give it away. And he says, but if you had two pigs, would you give away one pig to Jesus? He says, wait a minute, that's unfair. You know I have two pigs. The moral behind that very crap, terrible joke is that let's not be afraid with what we have to say, Jesus, this is where I am. This is where I'm at. Stop comparing. There will come a season where you'll be able to upgrade your sardine for a tuna. Great. But friends, we have a role to play. Or maybe you feel like that little piece of bread. 
you feel I'm too insignificant, I am too undesirable, God doesn't want me because I can't do anything for him anyway. Maybe you feel like that tonight. See, Jesus doesn't turn away this boy. Jesus doesn't turn away the lunch. In fact, he takes it. Jesus takes the lunch. Now, what I love about this, we don't know who this little boy is. We don't find him again in Scripture. But I think the next day at school, he had a very cool story to tell his friends. Jesus doesn't turn away from this boy for his lunch because it seems too small, too insignificant and undesirable. He will not turn away from you. He will not turn away from you and I. Jesus doesn't wait for something to be significant because he makes things significant. Jesus doesn't wait for you to be significant because he wants to make you significant. Can you bring who you are and what you have to Jesus and see him something do extraordinary? Now, disclaimer, when you bring it, he will change it. It wasn't just five pieces of bread and two sardines anymore. When you bring what you have, be prepared that Jesus will take it and transform it. And that process, remember, Jesus took his lunch. That sounds a bit mean. A 33-year-old taking a 5-year-old's lunch. <laughs> that doesn't sound like Jesus, doesn't it? <laughs> he took it. He took everything. He didn't even, oh, he's fair happy. He didn't like say, you take the smallest fish for yourself. He didn't. He took everything. Sometimes that clashes with us because we don't believe there's really a Jesus who can take anything that he wants. Because somehow we believe that this is my stuff, I'm in control, how dare Jesus take what he wants? Well, that's kind of the essence of being God. You can do what you want and you don't have to ask permission, right? See, the problem is we sometimes hold on to things so tightly that it becomes this wrestle. No, it's my fish. No, it's your fish. No, it's my fish. No, that's not what this little boy does. He says, Jesus, take it and transform it. But if that's us... Be prepared that in this taking to Jesus and say, Jesus, well, this is what I have, he will take it. And you will probably be, for a small while, be stuck with nothing. So your dreams, that relationship, your future, like are you still in a position that Jesus can walk into your life tonight and completely redirect who you are and what you do and where you live? Open heart, open hands. That's what this little boy teaches me. Open heart, open hands. If Jesus comes to you right now and says, I want it, how long is that discussion going to be? Now, why does Jesus sometimes take things? Well, that's a good question. See, Jesus will take things out of your life, number one, because that thing will destroy you somewhere down the line. I've been there. Jesus removed the relationship out of my life, a girl that I liked very much. But if that thing continued, my life would have been destroyed. So he will take things that will destroy you, or he will take things because when it's with him, it can mean more for more people than just yourself. See, that bread and that fish in the little boy's hand, what was it? It was lunch. So in the hands of the little boy, the food was lunch. In the hands of Jesus, it was a miracle. You may be holding on to something because you think it's the only thing you have. It's maybe your lunch, your future, your promise. And Jesus said, but if you give it to me, it will become a miracle. 
that not only feeds 25,000 people, but I still send doggy bags as people leave. Job 1 verse 21 says, The Lord takes and gives. Praise the Lord for he is worthy. See, we like the giving Jesus, but not necessarily the taking Jesus. Friends, can I ask that you and I, like the little boy, live lives with open hearts and open hands. Say, Jesus is still yours. I'm still yours. I don't belong to my company. I don't belong to my industry. I don't belong to my family. I don't belong to my culture. I don't belong to my race. I don't belong to my res. I don't belong to my school. I've got an open heart and open hands and say, Jesus, if you want to take it, I ask that you, well, I know that you will bless it, be thankful about it, and see something happen. Anyone hearing this tonight? Does it make sense? What I do love that what the disciples show us is even though they were failing the faith test, even they weren't feeling less to do this, they still did it. Do you see that obedience sometimes has to even overcome weak faith? I don't know about you, but I've been weak in times where I don't have a lot of faith, then I don't feel like doing anything, right? But do I still do it because Jesus is Lord and my obedience matters? Don't let doubt, don't let doubt fuel disobedience in your life. In spite of the doubt you and I face, can we still be obedient? I find that beautiful because they didn't feel like it. They probably weren't hopeful. They were hungry. See, it's not only about feelings, friends. If you and I have to wait to feel something before we do something for Jesus, you're probably going to sit in this chair the rest of your life. Don't let your doubt distort your obedience. Can I ask Dolly, will you please join me on stage? In the hands of the little boy, as five breads and two fish was lunch. But in the hands of Jesus, that very thing became a miracle. In whose hands is your life tonight? In whose hands are your talents tonight? In whose hands is your time tonight? Your money? Your future? Are you and I going to settle for the sign and look at our lunch boxes and get super excited about it? Jesus, open heart, open hands. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know why you ask me and not the person who's got a whole stake with him, yeah? In whose hands is your life tonight? See, this whole thing, Jesus continues and he, he brings it back and he explains that, as I said, I can read the chapter where it comes, builds to the point where he says, but I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the one that you are thirsting for, hungering for, and missing. If you're struggling with purpose tonight, you don't have to go to something or listen to this. You need Jesus. 
If you're feeling despair and empty tonight, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Rest is not even found outside of Jesus. That's just hustle at a slower pace. In whose hands are your life tonight? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the one that will sustain you. In Exodus, as the people of Israel were working through the desert, God rained down manna, which is bread from heaven. Every day they had fresh bread to eat. In this miracle, Jesus used the undesirable, the insignificant, to do a miracle that we find recorded in all four of the Gospels. But then he goes further and says, I am the bread of life. I'm not meant for a certain time. I'm not